Okay, today I want to start a new part of our conversation on the afterlife. And the word I'm going to use is perhaps a word that is not often used, maybe not often used in the proper context. And that is the word immortality. The, the human being, out of all other living organisms, has to live with the awareness that life is fleeting. That's just the reality of being human, is that life is fleeting and that eventually there is an end to life in this world. The The irony is that while we're acutely aware of the finiteness or the finitude of our lives, we would want nothing more than a desire to attain the infinite or immortality. We write books about immortality. We have superheroes that have been written about and spoken about who are immortal. Whether it's physically, whether it's mentally, whether it's spiritually, we want immortality. And the quest for the fountain of life, I would assume has been around since the dawn of civilization. Magical potions, methods to attain eternal life. It's something that we have dreamt about and written about for as long as we can remember. And maybe, this is just my thought, but maybe it's because of this dreaded awareness that so much of life's energy is spent warring against it and trying desperately to reverse what we'll call, let's say, the natural sequence of events. According to Kabbalah, immortality and the survival of self actually does exist. Just maybe not in the way that the superheroes or the writers have said it exists. It exists on various levels. So there are those who contend that immortality is always present because there is no one to pass on as there is no distinct person to die. The real life, what we call true life, is part of the whole. And what occurs at death is just, according to Kabbalah, a fusion of the illusion or the illusory self with the real self, which essentially is the totality of creation. So from this perspective, the question of what will happen in the afterlife is a trivial question. Because no one was ever born and therefore no one will ever die. The phrase, let me explain this a, a little more candidly, because it sounds a little poetic right now. From this perspective, the ultimate goal of life is to disappear, to merge with the infinite wisdom, with the infinite goodness of the universe, and shed all sense of selfhood. Now, the idea of shedding all sense of selfhood 
is in stark contrast and is diametrically opposed to the way the Torah views life and its purpose. The Torah teaches that there is a so-called individual distinctive soul. And the objective in life is to live out our time, our individual distinctive soul's time, with our maximum spiritual potential. So essentially, the goal is not to lose our unique place within the universe, but to find our deepest self, to find the deepest essence of who we are, and to sense its oneness within what we're going to call the infinite one. And it's for this reason that in the afterlifes, in the afterlife, our souls do not become extinct or disappear. Rather, according to Kabbalah, they experience individual immortality. They live on as a self-contained, finite entity within a greater existence of what we'll call the infinite everything. Now, eternity, not extinction, is the ultimate. What eventually is going to expire is not the soul. It's the ego. The ego is what we lose. The sense of a separate individuality, but not individuality itself. So it's the ego that disappears. But the individual soul is not the product of the ego. What is false and fleeting is the imposter of the ego, but not our uniqueness. The individuality of the soul is rooted in being an eternal portion of the divine, a finite manifestation of the infinite. And as such, when the soul is liberated from the ego, the ego expires and the spiritual self does not cease. So, to try to find the essence of who we are, to try to find who we are in reality. So often, when we're navigating this world, we're looking at our ego. And it's our ego that is helping us navigate this world. Which is why, according to Kabbalah, the most important exercise, routine, that we can get into during our lifetime is the ability to let go of the ego. The ability to be a little more humble, a little more humility. And we've spoken about this before at great length. But humility will allow the process once we leave this world to be much easier. Let me go into this a step further before we go for questions. Immortality and eternity are experienced on multiple levels. So from the more apparent experience in which the soul lives on to the more, let's say, 
esoteric aspect, which is the preservation of the physical. Now, at this point, we have to explore immortality from a different perspective because, <coughs> excuse me, the word doesn't have a proper definition outside of this context. It's just uh, uh, a euphemism. It's a, it's a dream. So let me explain it perhaps from a, from a Kabbalistic perspective, and then you're going to start seeing how maybe things will come together for you. So to some degree, every death births life. I know it sounds poetic, but just think about it for a second. Sorry, can you just repeat that? I missed it. Every death, Every death births life. Sorry, thank you. The circle of life is a circle, not just a circle in this world. It's a circle in all worlds. It's an endless transformation from one form to another. Nature is continually creating and destroying, building and demolishing in one perpetual rhythmic motion. Every fall, every demise on one side gives rise to life on the other side. We've spoken about this in the context of balance in this world. But balance doesn't only exist in this world. It exists in all worlds. <laughs> Sorry. So even as we eat, even as we ingest, and then eject what is not usable for the body, the excrement becomes the life and stimulus for further creations. Generally, life feeds on death. For one living organism to survive, it has to consume another form of life. When we eat, we are consuming various forms of life. The food we eat is alive in a vegetative form. So as a whole, nature is continually changing and putting on different coats. As the physical form slowly joins the earth, it becomes soil upon which new life grows. Flora becomes the nourishment for insects. And then another more forceful creature lives off the insect, which in turn can become the food that we eat, and the circle continues. Minerals become plants, plants become animals, animals become humans. And then again, the human in turn returns to the earth, and maybe the entire cycle starts all over. The cycle of life necessitates individual deaths so that life as a whole can survive. Death on one side births new life on the other. Deaths, death on one side will birth new life on the other. And from this perspective, a certain degree of immortality exists as part of the ecosystem of the entire reality of existence including the human. You see, if you take the ego out of it and you live in awe of the ecosystem, you live in awe of the world and realize that perhaps we are not the greatest thing that happened since sliced challah. Perhaps we're not the greatest thing that happened. I am not the greatest thing. I am part of a greater whole. And when I see myself as part of a greater whole, 
then I can see myself as part of that greater whole in so many different ways. One of them is just on the ecological way within the cycle of the ecosystem. And there's many, many other ways that we can see ourselves in, in this in this whole. I, I want to take a look at today, if you allow me to, collective immortality versus an individual immortality as it's seen through the lens of Kabbalah. So let's take a look at collective immortality. The, the idea of eternity means to be immortal in the context of history. Even we suppose that the individual passes on, but the collective never dies. The individual person may die, but the whole always survives. The, the human being who has passed on, though they no longer exist on a physical level, we believe they linger on in the, in the continuity of the collective. Historically living on in the continuity of people. The human race will continue after an individual goes, even though the individual does not. Now, there are two types of eternities, according to Kabbalah. One is referred to as Kayamim Bi'ish. That's K-A-Y-A-M-I-M, Kayamim Bi'ish, B-I-S-H, which means eternity in form. Kayamim Bi'ish, eternity in form, talks about the planetary system. The sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies, and their greater sense of celestial permanence. And then... There is Kayamim Bimin. Again, it's K-A-Y-A-M-I-M Bimin, which is B-M-I-N, Bimin, which is the eternity of species. The eternity of species is the collective immortality of humankind. Bimin means that although the personality passes away, humankind marches on. In other words, the individual human survives by continuing to be part of an entire human race that lives on. I would call it a social immortality. Bimin this eternity of species, the mean immortality, I think is expressed elegantly in Homer's Iliad. He says, and I'm going to quote, as is the generation of leaves, so is that of humanity. The wind scatters the leaves on the ground, but the but the the live timber burgeons with leaves again and in the seasons of spring returning so one generation of men will grow and another dies it's it's not the individual that lives onward but rather the collective an indication of this primary condition of eternity is our reproductive system, which reflects our innate capacity to give birth and experience immortality vicariously. I would say more specifically, 
Every living being is a continuation of their parents, their grandparents, and their great-grandparents, all the way back to the first human. Our lives in this world are an extension of the lives of our parents, and they in turn of the lives of their parents, and so on, and so on, and so on. So our bodies, to some measure, are not only our bodies, per se, but a conglomerate of all the bodies and all the genetics of all our ancestors. Life is not lived and nothing occurs in a vacuum. So we are like twigs in a great tree, distinct and unique, but all sourced from the same roots. Still, for all its value, in the strict sense of the term, this is not individual immortality. It's just collective immortality. So let me take a look at individual immortality, if I can. You know what? Let's go to let's go to questions. Any questions? I, I just no questions. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no questions, but I, I just love the relationship to uh, science and the whole thing about biodiversity and the circle of life, how everything's regenerated from, like you said, excrement, you know, the bacteria, that, and then create, uh, I guess, nutrients in the soil, a tree will grow, that tree will create fruit if it's a fruit tree, and then a human will eat that, and that human will develop from that that type of thing, it's really amazing to see these ancient um, beliefs related to science these days. Thank you. I, I knew that someone would appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I just wondered, and I think this might, uh, anyhow, does it matter how a death occurs in this whole process, or is it just we're just talking generically about at this point, we're talking generally. It's collective. Okay. At this okay. point, we haven't gone individual. Um, so the answer to there, 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 yes and no, mm -hmm. but from the perspective that we're talking about so far, no. But there'll be okay. other perspectives that may clarify that on, on a more individual level, which I know would make sense that that would be something that would be bothering you at this point in the in our study. Okay. Thank you. Okay, let's let's move on to individual immortality, which I think will start clarifying some of those things that Jill is referring to. On a more personal note, individual memory survives and also occurs on many different levels. Most, I would say, superficial memory survival is through the actions of other people. So when another living being does something in honor or in memory of someone that has passed away, the memory of that person lives on, which is why it's a Jewish tradition to give charity in honor of the memory of someone who passed on or study Torah in honor of someone's memory. These are some of the actions that are referred to in the Midrash and the homiletics of Judaism as appropriate. Things that we can do in this world to allow the memory of those who have passed to live on. There's also a mention in the Talmud of building a monument as a physical lasting memorial. And the, the monument serves as a tangible reminder of that person and their achievements in this world. Today, it's become popular to light a candle in honor of the deceased, although it's important to mention there is no apparent source for this. 
we don't have any Talmudic or rabbinic or Jewish source at all for this. There are other sources in other traditions, but not in the Jewish tradition. Yet, it still has been widely accepted. And it's a custom that is relevant and it's worthwhile to carry out. So much so that according to the great Rabbeinu Bachya, who was an early 14th century commentator and mystic, he said, the soul is delighted for the lighting of candles. She expands and manifests from the pleasure she receives from the light. And I always loved that little quote from Rabbeinu Bachya. I'll say it again if anyone wants to write it down. The soul is delighted for the lighting of candles. She expands and manifests from the pleasure she receives from the light. A deeper and more profound measure is achieved through our own actions on behalf of the deceased by creating something that is everlasting, that is immortal, something that extends far beyond our physical reach. We attain a degree of imperishability. Parenthetically, every person has the capacity to live in a state of immortality, even while in the strictures and parameters of this finite world. Every action that we do has permanent significance. It is limitless both in potential and in effect. And how much more so is it true when it comes to actions that are inherently eternal and everlasting? When a person brings about correct actions and lives uh, in synchronous with the eternal, with God, a measure of eternal life is attained here on earth. Beyond eternity, through actions, there's also immortality through influence. We're going to call that creative immortality. Where one passes on, but leaves an impression and a lasting legacy and teachings for others to follow. When Talmud says... A righteous and learned person's words are their memory. In one, I would say, cryptic and mysterious passage in the Talmud, the sages suggest that recounting a departed person's teachings causes the lips of the deceased person to murmur in the grave. I didn't make this up. It's a Talmud. There's two Talmud that, that talk about it. If you want to check it up, it's Yevamot 97a and Sanhedrin 90b, just for your reference. The, the, the teachings that originate from one in the grave resonate within the hearts of the living and are then echoed back to the lips of the one who spoke them first. Once we get into some of the specific and bodily immortality, you'll understand that this is a little cryptic and a little beautiful, maybe poetic in its way, but maybe, maybe not practical. Because part of my job here in this deep dive on the afterlife is to give you as much as I can on, on this topic. And uh, again, it's the Talmud. It's, it's beautiful. There's something very poetic about it, but maybe not as practical as it sounds. Biological immortality is a more concrete form of immortality. And we're not talking about 
Walt Disney freezing himself. Genetically, one's genes are passed on to one's offspring and then in turn to their children. And from a genetic level, this is a, a way of continuous genetic transmission. Children are the way that the mortal human overcomes death and mortality. That's another great piece of Talmud. For your reference in Tanit 5a or Baba Basra 116a. Really great, beautiful little, if you ever go there and look at the Talmud, you'll see this really beautiful um, conversation there. So when Adam and Eve were first faced with their mortality, Eve gave birth and they called their child Cain, Cain, because they had Cain, they had acquired a man to God by affirming that this child will be to God after their death. They're confirming that they will in effect stand in their place. And through this, they're overcoming their mortality. I think this is especially the case when a person's children choose to follow the same path that they have chosen. It's a way to honor their parents by choosing the path their parents have chosen. And then not only is it genetic, not only is it physical continuation, but also a, a mental and a spiritual one. Death, death is only something that the shell, that the cocoon experiences. We call the body the shell, the husk, or the klipa. The, the shell only experiences death. But even the shell in reality does not perish. Because even the physical matter of the body does not truly expire. What happens is that the physical form transforms from one substance to another. The elements that comprise the body are restored to their original source and then continue existing in these other forms. Death in this context is just a rearrangement. Just think about it a second. Death is just a rearrangement. You see, so often we want things to be the way they've always been. But nothing will ever be the way they've always been. I think the pandemic proved that to us. Nothing will ever be the way they've always been. And so if we can let go of what we want as the way it's always been, then we could see that the world is constantly getting rearranged and death is maybe a more extreme or stronger version of that rearrangement. The elements that made up the body now return to the root that birthed it, according to Kabbalah, according to the Zohar. Yet physical immortality goes beyond this rearrangement. There's a part of a human that never does rearrange into other forms and remains human-like at the core of its eternity. And that is what we call in Judaism the Luz bone. There's a small bone in the body, perhaps too minuscule, maybe too infinitesimal to be detected, but it never perishes. There are some opinions that recognize this bone as existing at the base of the spine, while there are others that believe it's to be on the back of the skull. There is quite a great debate amongst, amongst the, the sages on this. But this parcel of bone is indestructible. It says in the Midrash, 
that neither fire nor water can destroy this bone. The Luz does not succumb to the ravages of worms or any other natural putrefaction. It's everlasting. And the preservation of this bone has real value. And that it's precisely through this small bone that according to our tradition, the resurrection of the body will occur. As such, the resurrection of the body is not a new creation, but rather a revival and a reanimation of the loose bone. And from there, the rebirth will expand to the entire body, according to Kabbalah. So we're going to hold off on the resurrection conversation. When we get there, we're going to get to the Jewish view of the resurrection. We're, again, I'm going to try to go through everything. So so make a note, make a star in your notes. Resurrection will be discussed at the right time. But according to our tradition, what you need to know now is there's this bone called the loose bone. And the loose bone is indestructible. And that is how the resurrection happens. We know, of course, that every rule has an exception. So for most, for the most part, bodies laid to rest decompose and do so rapidly. And there are certain abnormal cases where it doesn't occur. And they, in fact, survive for a longer period of time than usual. But ordinarily, the course of life, according to Kabbalah, is as follows. A soul descends into this world to inhabit the human form. Throughout life, the body and soul labor in unison. And when the time comes for body and soul to part ways, the soul soars upwards while the body merges with the denser elements of creation. That's what we'll call it. The exception from this rule is that those who have worked tirelessly in their lifetime to incorporate the body within their spiritual journey and have succeeded in transforming the body into the the soul basically the, the 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 true vessel for the soul the humble vessel for the soul for those who have fully embraced the body and created a deep sense of unity within their beingness some form of bodily immortality will be experienced in a matter of speaking for those people the entire body is transformed into the loose bone. And it will be preserved for a far longer period of time than usual. I'll just mention this because I know this is interesting for you. That the, the same can hold true for a particularly evil person. The polar opposite of the great, of the, of, of the holy human, is the great ungodly, the diabolical, the, the evil person that we'll call them. They both have extreme focus. Their genius is pulling together other various forms within themselves to reach greatness. For one person, the greatness manifests in goodness. And for the other, the greatness manifests in a devastating evil. But so utterly one-dimensional, completely neglected from the soul, and identifying solely with power, with money, with appetite, their bodies assume their bodies assume some form of unity, some form of cohesion, in which case, even after the person is no longer alive, the body will continue to hold together and preserve for a period of time, also decomposing at a much slower pace. 
That's just to know that the world truly is balanced between good and evil. And some uh, there are two. Sometimes there are two ways to the same destination, and we can talk about that balance and what that means a different time. And one of the ways that such an individual can attain paradise is a state of transcendence, a state of purity. It's through slowly weaning themselves off their attachment to to dependencies, the attachment to the bodily realm of existence. And someone who's been um, preoccupied with the physicality at the expense of the spirit, being occupied in this world at the expense of the spiritual, engrossed with immediate self-gratification to the detriment of others, their soul's detoxification and disengagement is achieved by having an awareness of the lifeless body and gradually as as it decomposes, recognizing its transient and fickle nature. That's what happens. So again, even though there's a balance in the world, it depends on what an individual, from an individual immortality, what does somebody want? Which means if you got excited about being evil because it means that you're going to be able to hold on to your body for longer, you have to know that the more knowledge of that decompensation is going to be a lot more painful. So there's a balance. There's a yin and yang. There's a, you know, for every non-negotiable, there's other things that have to be negotiated. For every choice we make, there's a lot of choices that we didn't make. And so when it comes to immortality, if it's a person's choice for physical immortality, they're also making the choice of a tremendous amount of physical pain of which they will be aware of. If it's a choice of spiritual immortality, then the physical pain may be non-existent. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to start getting into, finally, the afterlife. This was just the beginning of it. But we're going to do a real deep dive into the afterlife. And the goal of this is to really give you an understanding of perhaps everything that I can find. I'm not going to say it's going to be complete in any way but it's complete as I can make it into what is the Jewish view of the afterlife. I'm assuming some of it as it has today will, will keep, will be difficult for you. And some of it will be comforting and healing. And I can't control how you, uh, how you're able to take it because everyone experiences this in a different way, but at least Um, As I promised you, I can come through with really giving you as best of an understanding of the Jewish view of the afterlife as I can. With that, um, let's go to uh, some takeaways. Jill, since you've been a little uh, more active today, why don't you start off and then you can pass it on. Okay. Um, This was a lot, a lot today. so I think my takeaway is that I I want to believe that there is more and I feel like I have to in order to to exist in this life and I'm finding that 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 skeptical well how do I know I haven't experienced it uh you know part of me kind of just rearing up and yet it's fascinating and curious. I don't know that I have a specific takeaway from this. Uh, maybe a little bit about the, you know, as we carry on from our ancestors, we carry it through here. That for me is a little discouraging, but you know, 
it is what it is. Um, so that's what I'm taking away. Hey, Alana, I'll pass it to you. Wow. Okay. Um, I, I, I love this morning. This was just unbelievable. I mean, I love the, you know, the idea about the, the cycle of life. Um, I think it's just really a beautiful way to think about death. And um, also the idea of, you know, humility and that that allows the process to happen more, more readily. I mean, I've certainly seen people die because I, I did home care, palliative care. And, you know, it's just amazing how some people, you know, fight and other people are able to let go at the end. What that looks like. Anyway, this, this morning was fabulous. I'm looking forward to next week and the week after. I'm going to pass it to Susie. Can you hear me? Okay, sorry, I have that sunbeam right on me for the next few minutes. Um, yeah, lots of meaty stuff. I'm gonna have to re-listen to the recording because I feel like I didn't capture it all. And I wanna be able to internalize everything that you said. Um, I like when you talked about how there's a rhythm, there's a cycle that when we create, something's destroyed. And I truly do believe that. And I like that you said that when we put away our ego and we truly watch this rhythm around us, we can see it. Uh, even though we don't know we acknowledge that, but I do believe that that's true. But that takes effort and calmness to really see that happening around us. All right, um, Alessandra. Hello. Um, today to me was a summary of the conversation we've had since January, uh, if it makes any sense. Um, when you started with immortality, when you said the word, I said, well, I. I never dreamt of it. Uh, I'm actually very comfortable with my body aging and, and living naturally. So I'm, I'm already detached. I, I mean, I have a long way to go, obviously, but I, I feel that my essence is not necessarily connected to my appearance. So as a woman, obviously, living in this world, we always want to look pleasant surely uh, but I don't feel that my ego is connected to my appearance and as a matter of fact if you saw me how I'm how I'm dressed most days in my yoga pants you don't understand what I'm saying <laughs> but you know without being materialistic I, I I I think that really today was a summary of the conversation we've had throughout so immortality is not even a word to me because I know we existed in a different form before coming to this world, which is the world of falseness. And that when we detach from our body, we will find truth again. Uh, so I'm, I'm very comfortable with all this. And I have to say that this week I've had a stunning example of what ego connected to arrogance and and hate and vengeance can be. And I have a price tag even on it. Um, without going into details, I found out my ex has spent $50,000 on a divorce that were not divorced yet, all because of his ego. And that's being connected to this world of falseness. So when you said the word ego, I had so many ideas going around, but I, I, I don't want to take the whole space. So I will pass it on to Marianne and wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom.
Bonjour tout le monde, hi everybody, thank you very much for this very interesting, thank you Alexandra for this very interesting lesson. Something struck me this morning is um, since my parents' death, uh, my father passed away nine years ago and my mother three years ago, I started and uh, you talked about charity at the death of the persons and I started to and I didn't know exactly that it was honoring them, but I started to listen every day to um, comments of the uh, of the Torah with the parashot. And I'm just studying Shemot every day. I'm, I'm listening to a class from a Jewish, a French Jewish numeric. Uh, well, anyway, it's through through those videos, and I really realized that it was just. And it's very important, uh, honoring my parents. And I got it today. That's, that's, that's amazing. Thank you very much. Oh, I, I'm just, I was in my, I was in my thoughts. Uh, I pass it to Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you. I have three pages of notes. I don't even know where to start. Um, I loved the line of death is a rearrangement of life as we know. And in my head, I thought of ice turning to water, turning to evaporated, you know, air that we breathe and that versatility to go either way. And so that air then becomes the oxygen that we as humans need or the O2, whatever. Um, I don't know. There were so many things I got out of it. The loose bone, I know you had mentioned prior in a prior class, because I remember you asked Bruce to look it up because he, he was an ENT and it's somewhere in your neck and he didn't know how to spell the loose. But I guess where I got lost in the lose was if that stays longer in the ground as the rest of us decomposes, does it really matter? I mean, and that connected with if you weren't a good person or if you were occupied with ego and stuff and evil, then you're going to feel the pain more as you're decomposing. I had more questions from what you said today. I wish we could have paused a little so I could have asked then, but those are my questions. And I also wanted to know if at some time you could put in this class our connection with dreams and our dream state and how that connects with other souls because we can go to another place. So those are for your notes, Rabbi. So Cheryl, keep those notes. And also, um, Julianne, I saw your questions. Keep those. What I'm going to do is next week, I'd like to start off the class by exploring some of these questions that you have and that Julianne's question as well, and some of the questions that others have on this, because I don't want to just let it go. And before we go to dream state, Cheryl, the following week, I'm going to talk about near-death experiences. We sort of did that early on, but I yeah. know there are different people in this class now. No, but we're going we're gonna, to um, do a deep dive into NDEs. Okay, super. Yeah. Okay, who's Chava? You want to share? Sure, thanks, Cheryl. Today was beautiful. Um, the impressions that are, are jumping out at me. I, honestly, every, I really enjoyed everything that you taught us today. I, um, what's reverberating with me specifically is the cyclical nature of our life, um, and not just in this world, but in all worlds. And also the more, more, more in my personal life, my, the dance that I have with attachments um, and ego and, and seeing how, you know, some of the suffering is, is, is uh, married to certain attachments um, 
So I'm really, I really liked today. I enjoyed every moment. Thank you. Uh, so did um, Parrish, have you shared your nugget yet? Uh, no, I haven't yet. Thank you very much. Um, so two takeaways from me. I really love the uh, circle of life explanation, um, how we can create new life while we're living and as we pass on, we create new life as our body decomposes over the years, uh, way down to the bacteria all the way through, as I explained earlier, and the relationship to science. The second one, I never even thought about uh, collective immortality, and it was really interesting to understand that. Um, and to me, that's you know people remembering and recognizing us, and that ends up in sometimes in history books or. You know, people can read about you in the future, especially now with modern technology. Uh, lots of people have Facebook profiles. All that information is collected in memories. And that, to me, that's part of that collective immortality. So thank you very much. Uh, I will pass it on to Fami if you're there. Uh, good morning. So I I, uh, I like it a lot. Uh, for me, what shocked me is like because uh, I was doing this for a couple of years now, studying Torah with. Uh, I mean, I encourage everyone to look at uh, Rabbi Sachs' legacy. Like he's like beautiful, beautiful videos and beautiful teachings and uh, infinite wisdom there. You know, so. And the technology now, it allows you, to, he's, he's as, I mean, he does not feel like he's dead, like, because the technology is like, like, it's so well done. It's like, he feels like with you, you know. I do the same thing with uh, Haim Sitruk, the Grand Rabbi of France from Tunisia, who passed away. And uh, I mean, these people like, seems like their words resonate forever. It's exactly what our rabbi said. So he, they, they, they are immortals and uh, you can learn a lot from them and uh, you honor your parents if they're past or something like that. Uh, thank you. Uh, so we have Julian who's left, I think. Thank you. Um, the only thing I thought of is, um, Maybe I could uh, uh, read out, although you uh, uh, didn't want to answer them because there'd be future times when they're expanded. But I thought I could read out the question so that anyone that doesn't have the chat could know what they were. And then when they come up later, it will they'll be able to see the transition from this lesson to the next lesson. Well, sorry, the future lesson. Is that is that OK? I just read them out, even though they're not sure. Being answered. Like. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So. Question one was, um, uh, could the, the debate between the uh, two schools of thought as to where the last bone is, which bone it is, is, is it possible that both could be right and we have two immortal bones, <laughs> if immortal is the right word? So that, that was the first one. And the second one was a bit longer. It was uh, It was hard to understand how doing good things in the name of the departed could affect them unless they already related to those good things in some way, e.g. continuing something they already did in their lifetime or they're already interested in. Uh, for example, if they're interested in a subject, continuing to study the same subject to benefit them would make sense. But if they were atheists praying in their name or something would be hard to see how it could benefit them. Or if they gave charity to a certain organization, continuing that in their name would make sense as a benefit to them. But if you give to a different organization they didn't like, then it would be hard to see how it would relate to them. Or if they, uh, I'm sorry, oh yeah, it was, or if they never gave to any organization, it would be hard to understand. In other words, how does something benefit them unless they're already related to it in some way to that good deed or action, good thought or good intention. So it was a bit long, but just thought it might be helpful. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna explore a lot of that uh, um, next week. So keep keep it keep it handy so we can open up next week with exploring some of this. Thank you very much, everyone. This has been uh, a wonderful, wonderful look, or at least the beginning of this process of the deep dive into the afterlife.
and looking forward to next week. And for those of you who are joining us for Talmud, we will start in about a minute. And I just grab my Talmud. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Have a